Network. Connected. MIDI session. Running. MIDI show control. Confirmed. DMX interface. Connected. Light control. Confirmed. Ethernet. Active. Audio interface. Active and engaged. Arduino unit. In range. Bluetooth remote pair. Connected. OSC IP. Active. We're ready. Start the queue. Featuring Andy Dolph, Joshua Langman, Dave Mickey, Alex Sparks, and Mark Neiser. It's the queue. Welcome to the queue, everybody. My name is Mark Neiser, and today I'm joined by Dave Mickey. Hello. And we have a great interview coming up with Justino Zope. The first thing I wanted to cover today was serial projector control. I became obsessed with the 22 video projectors that I bought from a school system. I have them laying all over my office, some of which have serial ports on the back. I'm really always wrestling with, and I don't know if you run into this too, is just the leakage from projectors that the ambient light comes out of them and it just it makes me crazy also i've been doing a lot of installations where i travel a lot for work and there's a computer left there and i have to have some person go in and turn on and off the projector at night to save the bulb and i really got into trying to figure out how to serial control these things but i was very surprised it, it is not an easy endeavor what have you run into, Dave? Well, we recently purchased a Aki 16K projector that has a built-in dowser and Telnet included. So what we ended up doing within QLab, we set up an Apple script that tells, that sends to Telnet to the projector to turn it on and off. It logs in, and then we have to have an Apple script that just constantly runs to keep it alive. So pretty much it's just keep alive, keep alive, keep alive, so the connection doesn't drop. And then within there, we could set it to close the dowser, open the dowser, turn on, off. And that's pretty much all we're doing through Telnet right now. So Telnet is just sending the commands through the network to the projector. And is it all Cat5 then? It's all, I think we're using Cat6, but yeah, it's all Ethernet cable. What's what's Cat6? It's, how come I don't have your one better than me? The newer version of Cat5. Does it have one more cable or it's just got a... Well, there's Cat5e and then Cat6. Sure, Andy could tell us all the details. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not here, so bite Where me. Is- <laughs> Is there an IP address involved in that situation? Yeah, so it's setting up a whole network. So we have a, I we have to enter in the IP address of the projector, and then that logs in with the username and password, and then it just sends mm-hmm. the commands. Serial commands are a little bit stranger yeah. in some ways. There's two cables, which you wouldn't think. You think you just go buy a serial cable and plug it in. So I was plugging, a, I bought a USB adapter, USB to serial, and then plugged in a serial cable into the projector. Nothing worked. First off, you need all these weird drivers for the USB USB to serial, some of which don't really work. Then you need either a crossover cable or a not, not a crossover cable. So one projector requires that it flips so that the in data in and data out pins are the same, and one of them does not. So half the projectors I have worked with a crossover cable, half we wanted the opposite of that. And and then just all the ASCII conversion insanity of, is it 0x61? Is it just 61? Sending hex over serial commands? It was it was a nightmare. For the three different brands of projectors that I have, I posted the QLab files oh, nice. to the forum so that people could kind of understand the... 10-day journey that I had that almost caused me to have a nervous breakdown. Every one of them finally fell under my crushing will, got them to work, which is great because now you can power them up, power them off, do some basic input changes and things like that. Most of the ones I have don't have dowsers. I use a little USB dowser that I built, but I'm also building a XB radio-controlled dowser via serial commands, which is sweet because you don't need wires to do it because a lot of times there's a projector sitting up on the balcony somewhere and they don't have DMX there is tricky. So I just plop that little box up there and let it let it go with an XB. Have you played around with the half Danjay projector MIDI remote? No. I think in your situation, this might be the perfect solution because it is still using network control and it's QLab friendly. Uh, your Apple scripts, you're running those from QLab yep, then? Yeah, and I could probably post those somewhere. Yeah, this looks like he made a nice little wrapper around where we actually have that in the plans to do to take over codes to make a wrapper to make it easier so it's not just through apple scripts and qlab cuz the large or the biggest problem we have is that you have to keep a or have a keep a live queue so it doesn't mm-hmm. close a connection 
Right, because it does expire after a while through the projector. It expires the connection after a while, and it closes the port, so then you have to re-log in, and that takes time. So if you need time-sensitive queuing for the shutter, you just have to keep it alive. Is that problem in the projector, or is it somewhere else? In the projector. The projector logs off. I have to do the same thing with MIDI Show Control. The software I use on my iPad powers down after, I think it's an hour, so if, if I've got the show ready to go and I leave, I now have a queue that just keeps firing a light queue every half hour just to make sure that the connection stays in one piece. Yeah. I'm going to add the link so. to the website on the Facebook page right now. To the projector remote. Yeah, I'd love to try this, but I have no network projectors. I looked at all 22 of them, and all of them are all uh, only serial commands. Ever since I saw that you had your Apple Watch, I was thinking, we need a way on the Apple Watch. Maybe it's a compilation that just shows, yay, Apple Watch status. Maybe Q Ooh. status or something, so you could just glance oh, at it. Idea. And within the timepiece, it'll just say some kind of where it is. Where it is. So I'm working hmm. on that right now, and hopefully... That's a great idea. You have a much better band than I have. Um, I got the crappy band. I had that one, and then I switched. The wife is in, is letting all this happen? She bought it. <laughs> what? She bought the band. I bought the watch. She bought the band. Damn she got, How much was the band? I used to have the lime green one, and she got sick of me mm-hmm. walking around with the lime green band. I love the iWatch app you did, and I demonstrate that constantly <laughs> at my shows as everyone's gathered around my, my techiness to... Uh, so the new Apple TV is coming out, which I'm getting for my birthday. Um, oh, yeah. Happy birthday. It's this weekend, right? That's coming up. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'll be gone. Aww. The Apple TV, I did see it came in the mail. I pretended I didn't notice. What can I expect? What Dave Mickey shenanigans do you have up your sleeve to uh, let me play with my Apple TV? On the App Store right now, I have two apps. The first one is a MIDI timecode. So if you want to watch your MIDI timecode on your Apple TV, it hooks up through ip midi using port one and it just streams and i think i have video somewhere on that i posted i think i post on the facebook page and it's quite nice because as long as you're sending from qlab or any other device midi time code through ip midi on port one the apple tv will receive it through the udp you are using udp that's pretty gutsy i am using udp because that's what ip midi uses so i'm pretty much hacking into the ip midi stream i'm watching on their ip address through their port window and i'm collecting the data that ip midi sending and what's the other app the other app is the midi show control app it's called my msc udp it's sending midi command messages through udp so it has play stop load pause replay back and next so you could control entire qlab session or any other midi show control device that runs off of ip midi from your apple tv and would I then have that Apple TV running in the theater kind of thing and use that as a screen? Or? You could. Yeah, if you need just a screen of play, stop, or go, I should say, stop, pause, and you have an Apple remote, you could then trigger it. And I haven't mm-hmm. tried with other remotes. I'm still waiting to pick one up, see if you could assign buttons so you don't have to mm-hmm. like mouse over to it or touch right. over to the button. But if you have it just mm-hmm. sitting on go and use the trigger as a go, it works quite nice so do you have the new apple tv then? i do apple sent me one many moons ago wow and i was not with allowed the, to post or text or show anyone and with the remote and everything too? with the remote and everything do you like it i do it, it's fun the only thing i haven't tried was to see if i could control it from my phone because my old apple tv i could control from my phone with the remote app uh, i haven't seen that i thought maybe it was part of the developer kit now i want to try and make it where i could say go cue from siri but mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. still on the table i was at a dance show in new york the other day and they were running q lab and i can hear behind me the dance director sitting between the lighting person mm-hmm. and the sound person and she's yelling calling light cues to the left and then sound cues to the right oh, wow. so it's like go wash you know go sound go wash go sound frantically and sort of yelling at these two people and it's a teeny venue yeah. so everyone can hear this, this craziness happening and this the qlab guy was like i was like why aren't you tricking the lights i mean you're, you're two feet from the guy yeah. why not just throw in a light cue with a midi thing and 
Yeah, he just his eyes glossed over, and he was like, "Well, what? Well, lighting? How? Uh, what? How could they ever talk? Kill the witch? Too much technology? It's just so bizarre. You're still separating these yeah. two systems. So, all right. Well, I'm excited. I can't wait to open my Apple TV. Yay! Our interview today is with Justino Zope, a seventh-generation professional entertainer. He has been a featured act on cruise ships and in Las Vegas. He does a show called Extreme Vegas and is also a hardcore show control geek. Please welcome Justino Zope. You are, just for their listeners, you are a magician and juggler and show control dude. Is that true? Yeah, it started off as just a juggler. Um, oh, gosh. A million years ago, I was a professional juggler. I was the, the one who created the fireworks juggling. If you type in uh, fireworks juggler on YouTube, you usually see me. Um, I went to uh, theaters and casinos. Um, I went to Australia for two years over there just doing that act, in a, in a specialty act in a show. Uh, met my wife, who is a hula hoop uh, artist, um, and that was many, many years ago. And since then, we started putting illusions in the show. We created my own one-man show and then a two-person show and then got bigger and bigger. And then we started producing our own shows. Um, and now the what, juggling what is, is... fireworks? What is fireworks juggling? Um, I actually had... I, for one, I had a lot of pyrotechnics in my act, um, you know, back in the days, uh, you know, early 90s. Um, uh, mid-90s, I was full of pyrotechnics. I used to spend a lot of money per performance blowing up stuff. <laughs> and so the end of the act had to be a big finale. So instead of just juggling fire torches, like most of my friends and jugglers did, um, I put uh, I built custom fire torches with a, a sleeve on the inside of the, of the wick. And then uh, I had some uh, custom gerbs designed, uh, fireworks designed, that would shoot out fireworks about... Depending on the venue I was performing, I could choose whatever size I wanted, but about 30 feet, 20 to 30 feet. So I'd cover about a 40-foot area while I was juggling the, the, the fire. The, the fireworks would be shooting out, fountains of fireworks would be shooting out from the actual torch. So it uh, kind, of, kind of put me on the map as far as some sort of visual spectacular thing I did, you know. Um, but then I haven't done that for years. I mean, uh, I remember... After the whole Roanoke thing with Whitesnake, um, fireworks became really difficult to be using on tour in the States. And uh, all of a sudden, I got into video graphics and design. I went to, to school in Australia, and all of a sudden, all this video technology that I was doing for my own personal use became part of the show. And I started saying, who needs pyro when you can project the heck out of this, you know? <laughs> Were you working outdoors mostly with fireworks? or No, indoors? no, no. Almost all indoors. Uh, stadiums. Wow. Um, not a lot of theaters. I did theaters quite frequently, but th that wasn't my main uh, venue. Most of them were civic centers, hockey arenas, stadiums. I did the Fargo Dome in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, the Moscow. Moscow. Yeah, I mean, th these, were, these were big, big areas. I mean, I could go really big. I mean, Fort Wayne, War Memorial Coliseum I did there. You know, I mean, th these are it's like being outside, you know? Um, but, uh, I mean, I did work outside a few times. I remember 4th of July, uh, I can't remember what year, years ago in the West coast somewhere, I did a fourth, you know, a 4th of July gig and oh my gosh, that was the, <laughs> the fireworks were blowing back in my face in the wind. And <laughs> I assume you're wearing like a full face protection as well. Yeah. I wore like a kind of a motorcycle helmet and a leather jacket, but, uh, the, the fireworks I chose to use back then were, um, they would ignite, shoot out silver, change to gold, and then explode. Oh. So when they came into your visor, sometimes they'd sit like, you know, as, as tons of sparks are hitting your visor. Of course, some get stuck on the top. And, you know, and every, every once in a while, every, you know, second or third week of doing shows like crazy, one would get through the visor or through the air vent and <laughs> it would blow up inside. And, you know, it's, oh, my God. But it's just, it's like welding. I mean, people weld all the time and you get sparks. You just get used to it. You know, it's just... Uh, <laughs> Shocks you the first time, you know. Like, tell me some stuff that burst into flames, like off screen or whatever. There must have been some disaster. Oh gosh! Uh, yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> I was working in uh, Conrad Jupiter's uh, hotel and casino, and uh, Australia has very different rules for pyrotechnics than we have here. And uh, one of the rules that they had is that you could not put a stage gerb or a firework inside of a metal sleeve. That was considered to make it a pipe bomb. Mm. Um, but that's not a pipe bomb because a pipe bomb is enclosed on both ends. This was only to mm -hmm. keep it secure and keep it from coming back onto me for any, anything to go wrong. 
Anyway, make a long story short, the, I had to change everything, and they ended up welding a sleeve on the outside of the torch, which now meant my torch looked like an axe. It went up, and then it went to the right about four inches, and they welded a steel pipe on it. <laughs> and um, that you know, made the, the weight extremely uncomfortable to juggle. Um, and, then, uh, and then they left the bottom open and the top open, and they attached the firework inside with a screw. Or I think two screws. And, uh, oh, about six months into the contract. And I kind of said, this is going to happen one day because I have no safety now. Um, the clay that's on the bottom of the firework must have got damaged or it wasn't dried properly or whatever. And instead of blowing out forward, <laughs> it blew out, blew out backwards, straight down. Oh, so no. imagine holding the bottom of your torch and then the firework shoots out straight four inches away from your hand. Of course, I had a, a nice effect where the audience didn't know I had fireworks. Um, basically, the the it looked kind of ridiculous. Here's a juggler who puts on a leather a leather jacket, a helmet, and, and juggles three fire torches. It looked ridiculous, and it was, it's almost kind of a letdown for the audience, which I loved. I loved that kind of getting the audience to think, "Oh, what is this?" And then something really cool happens, and kind of shocks them. <laughs> and uh, when they kind of <laughs> yeah. go, "What what is this guy doing?" All of a sudden, that's when the time delay fuses went off about twenty seconds into the routine, and that's when all hell broke loose. Um, so I, I can't see very well while I'm doing this. There's smoke and flames and, and, and you know, sparks all over the place. And um, it took me, I think, three catches before I realized what was going on. And every time I caught it, of course, I was singeing a big you know, hole in my, <laughs> in my knuckles in the top oh. of my hand. And I went to the hospital. And my wife um, had uh, these great burn pads. I forget the name of them. We always, we always had them with us. And, uh, yeah, you know, injuries come with the game, name of the game. I mean... Um, out of out of the thousands of shows I did, I can knock on wood had very minimal stuff. But we were safety is always number one priority with our tours. Even now, even with the illusions and all that aerial and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's uh, a lot of things can go wrong if you don't focus and, and dot the eyes and cross the t's. You know, yeah. I'm looking at a great photo of you juggling the fireworks on your website with the green oh, smoke really? and the gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, something that cruise ships don't like me doing. Um, oh, I started working on Norwegian cruise lines. And Norwegian, actually, uh, for the years that I was there as a, as a uh, kind of a mini production show, um, we actually had live fire in the show. I had a full fire illusion about a 12-minute fire scene that went on with dancers and everything and big props. But that was never allowed. And I think you can understand why you're not allowed to have fireworks at sea. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I did work. I did work 30 Seconds to Fame, a small TV show, uh, kind of before America's Got Talent came out. Um, and uh, it was on the Fox studio. And I think they had like five stages or four stages, if I remember correctly. And uh, the stage that they gave me to perform the trick was the smallest stage with hanging plasma screens all around me. And I remember trying... And on TV, it looked much bigger. But when I got there, I was like, how am I going to juggle and run around in circles with all these fireworks and... But, uh, yeah, I think that was the smallest location I ever worked in before. I don't remember how small it was, but I remember the fireworks were bouncing off all the walls. <laughs> it does look like you use a ton of show control then, right? So are you oh, running yeah. QLab on there? Yeah, I mean, right now, um, I, I started off with getting QLab uh, when I was first on a, on a theater, and, and we had programmed, oh, gosh, I think about 80-some lighting cues into the show. And uh, as I'm getting ready to, to leave, go back home, rehearse with my cast of dancers and come back, the, the lighting guy, Devin Nee, says, it's a shame I'm never going to see the show. And I went, what? We've just done three days, four days of programming lighting and, and you're not going to be here? You know? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to teach somebody in the, in the two days we have to, when I come back? You know? And uh, so I, I basically said, God, a friend of mine named Tommy Bond in, in, uh, in England, a, a piano player, and producer, he, he gave me the software years ago and said, you got to try this. What you're doing with Keynote, because I was running my show on Keynote. Wow. And, um, you know, how, and, and, how are you doing Keynote, giving them cues to say, do this and this time? No, and- it was really simple. Bas- basically, back then in, in 2008, all I was doing was um, you know, running, running video and audio in Keynote, and I would just give them a, a little clicker and say, click it, and it would go to the next video and the next thing. And I only had one projector, and it was really simple. But I never had that. I don't know if you ever see that, but if you see shows on cruise ships, you'll see acts come on, and they'll, they'll give them a, <laughs> um, a PowerPoint presentation, or they'll give them a, a, a DVD, which is even worse. And you'll see the play button and the pause button on the yeah. side. Oh, yeah. So I, I couldn't stand that. So I, I <clears> went over <throat> to Keynote, which, you know, you got rid of all that kind of stuff. And, um, 
And he said, look, what you're trying to accomplish and what you're, what you're accomplishing is grace, but you can go so much further with QLab. And I had it for about a year and a half and didn't use it. I looked at it and I didn't understand what it was. And, you know, I, I just, I was too busy. Mm-hmm. And then this all came down and I went, just speaking out loud in front of the, this lighting guy, a friend of mine, I went, oh man, I got to get this, this QLab figured out. And he went, QLab? He says, my friend of mine in, in I think I think it was his roommate when he was younger said he 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 invented that Dave and I was like what what <laughs> I'm like I will pay you anything to get me set up I, and I think we had two nights to get it done and uh, he caught him on the phone and uh, and Devin and him uh, Dave got it all talked out gave me the basics how to patch it into the light board um, and I said look it I'm not going to pay you to do it I just want you to tell me how to do it and. Um, and then I went and programmed the rest of the show from there. It was really basic back then, but it did all the lighting cues, it did all the videos, all this stuff like that. And then um, two years later, I just kind of exploded with it. And I didn't have any help. I mean, I, I really didn't have the ability to go online and search forums and all that kind of stuff. I had to kind of just trial and error. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I ended up coming up with a few ideas. For example, I, I use a um, um, M-Audio um, multiple out um, audio uh, firewire out to give uh earpieces to automation techs to spotlight operators to backstage techs to production managers and so i record my voice into that section of the show uh so let's say the the first 15 minutes of the show when it starts it all runs seamlessly so that mm-hmm. 15 minutes that voice is running to every single uh, every single queue now there'll be, there'll be smaller groups now but you know that concept of where it, you don't stop the show and um so, so you pretty sudden, much work as your cues. own stage manager with uh, audio yeah. track. That's amazing. It, exactly. I mean, my rehearsal times and install times have dropped immensely because, for example, I'm going to a gig now. I have been there before. It's been a long time, but I've been there before, and I keep every one of my show files. I have a hard drive full of show files, and I go back and I look at the lighting cue list. And I go back and I find out what cue list number, what cue number, what ID it is, device ID it is. And then I look and I remember what cues are there. Even though my show has drastically changed, I can use a lot of the similar lighting cues, you know. Um, mm. And I'll, I'll, I'll reprogram it. And then if there's a, a few cues that I know we need to reprogram, I'll just put like a, you know, 21.2, 21.3, 21.4. And we'll just squeeze them in between, you know. Um, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't live without it. I mean, I've, I've got a pretty kind of, I don't know if it's, it's advanced for me. I don't know if it's advanced for the rest of the world. I, I'm by myself out here. I don't know what everybody else is using. But I use, um, I use a, an iMac or a, or a MacBook Pro. If I'm flying, I use a MacBook Pro. Um, and then I have a, a Thunderbolt to a, to a Matrox uh, triple head um, to go, you know, the, the DP edition one. And wow. I go three separate VGA outputs. So I, have a, I do a video mapping sequence on stage uh, as I present illusions and all the, the things around me are being video mapped. So I use a separate wow, projector a on the front of the stage. Tech. Yeah, just, just for that one scene. Then I use a separate VGA that goes out to their main Christie projector, which projects um, my whole stage. So I always beg them to please zoom out the projector as ridiculously large as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they don't like doing that because they go, well, now it's in the ceiling and now no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And then I just quickly map um, their, state, th- their, their screen. I also have my own sets that I bring. I bring uh, tension fabric sets and I use eight of them on stage. And so I video map each set, which I'm getting really fast at now. Um, and then I just relink that on, in the software. And then I can do all this you know, great visual stuff. And in fact, I've gotten my lighting cues list down because instead of having to have flashes and strobes and special effects, I'm using video graphics to, to, to come right. in and not have to worry about all the, all the lighting. You know? I do right. a lot of That's, lighting, but not the amount I used to do. You know? Video is way powerful. I think video yeah. is the future of lighting. Yeah. I mean, DLPs yeah. for Disney, that's mostly what they're doing. Yeah. So yeah, then are exactly. you your own lighting designer and sound designer, or do you have someone else you work um, with? No, I, I do all my own lighting design. Um, I have had lighting designers before, and I still hire lighting uh, lighting techs to come in. Uh, Devin Nee is one of my main guys. Uh, Richard, as well, that works in Cirque du Soleil and Lanuba. He comes out and does my, my, my gigs a lot for me as well. Um, but the thing is, I know what I want, and these guys know what I want, which is great because I worked with them before. So, But when I'm working out to a gig, like I just did a, a college show in... Um, in uh, Carolina, uh, two days, three days ago now. And that's a different story because nobody knows me there. Nobody knows what I'm looking for. So I have to be there and going, look at this has to go like that. Of course, the lighting they have on 
in a college doesn't compare to the lighting on like you know a right. Disney theater or a, or a cruise ship mm-hmm. like that. Um, no DLPs in the college, unfortunately. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, and then also what I'm doing is I use a an air pa- a airport uh, base station to make my own Wi-Fi, and I sync um, two different computers by OSC Wi-Fi, and then I have another projector and a MacBook Pro in my live camera. And then what I'm doing is I'm actually projecting for another section of my show, um, all video mapping onto my hands, my fingers, uh, some puzzle pieces that I have. Like uh, if I was doing a card trick, uh, it's the same table and mat that I would use for the card trick, except I'm, I'm, I'm video mapping all the sections. And I use OSC from the main computer to fire the cues in the laptop. Nice. Um, and are yeah. you mapping your hands so that it's like a spotlight on your hands? Is that what you're doing? No, I'm actually telling a story. I'll have to send you a link to that. It's it's uh, called the puzzle of my life, and it's uh, when my wife uh, when my wife and I had a uh, had a got pregnant and had our daughter Zariana uh, before she was born. I started working on a new routine about adding pieces and pieces of, in your life when you think there's no room. And so there's a puzzle piece on on stage about maybe only about 12 inches big. Uh, and I have a live camera on a table, a close-up camera projecting down to it or aiming down at it. And then I have a small Optima uh, projector that is video mapped to, oh, I think there's about over a hundred different shapes. Um, and then throughout the routine, as I put a piece in, that piece resembles something in my life, uh, my job, uh, my family, uh, whatever. And I can uh, project images and text and all that stuff on every piece. And then I do a section where I, I have both of my hands are full of all different things in my life and I kind of dump them into the puzzle and it, the pieces all fall in together and uh, there's a lot cool. of animation that goes in there and stuff. Um, nice. Yeah, and I use Are you a, using I, Mad Mapper or QLab for video mapping. QLab, I use QLab for everything right now. Um, I'd huh. like to get into Mad Mapper, but everything I'm doing is um, individual stuff. So I don't. I, I'm not kind of using Mad Mapper for anything yet. Yet. <laughs> how are you, How are you doing those specific maps uh, mapping? Then are you doing? Um, I just PNG go into Photoshop. Files? Yeah, I just go into Photoshop okay. and create create the shape. Uh, I'm really fortunate with my puzzle pieces because the the puzzle pieces are all. Um, uh, basically squares or diagonals or all they're, they're all pieces that QLab can handle. I don't have mm-hmm. any round sections. Now on my stage sets I do. My stage sets are all half circles and stretch designs and so that I, I but use that's all the Photoshop. Um, yeah, that's all Photoshop and those those pieces stay static most of the show. I do have right, a few so set changes, but I just create another another, you know, uh, map for that. Well on right. QLab three you could actually do round with the surfaces. So you right, could actually right, abs- warp yeah. it around it if you have the time. Yeah, that's a hard part. But I'm trying to remember. Time. I'm trying to remember now when I when I did that and I warped it. Does it does it warp the image as well or no? I can't remember now. Well, it does. It, does. it warps it around the object. Right, right, right. So I need the image. Yeah, I need the image to be perfectly perfectly shaped and just a mask because gotcha. I'm uh, I'm putting like we we filmed some dancers our dancers in green screen and then I added them onto those eight surfaces. So if we have um, or, or actually, I'm only putting them on four surfaces. But uh, if we have, uh, you know, four dancers, I have eight on stage because there's one real, one fake, one real, one fake throughout the throughout the sets. Gotcha. Um, and uh, if their hand seems to pop out of one of the fabrics, it doesn't blend to the fabric behind it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that that's when when Q Lab three came out, I did a back somersault. I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. And then so- uh, just recently, I got to uh, Marco Tempest uh, Multivid. Have you heard of this app? Yes, I use that. Yeah, you do? So I just got that not too long ago, and I'm, I'm uh, actually using it as a teleprompter, which is really cool, because uh, I've got this long section of a, of a new routine, and I, all the video mapping is happening behind me. And mm-hmm. every single word that I'm saying is coming in sequence behind me to images and to story and to this and to huh. that. And I, I, it's, it's a, kind of a six-minute routine, and it's it's. I'm hoping it's going to be really, really cool. And I've only done it once right now, but it's like I needed some way to be able to nail all of those parts. Is that so to I just, an iPad then or something? Yeah, I just sent it to an iPad, and now I'm just mm-hmm. it just the words pop up, and I don't necessarily need to read the words. It's about when they disappear, when they come up. I know if I'm on time or not, you know. Hmm. So, um, and there's a lot of potential there. I was using that with a robotic suit, but um, mm-hmm. it was a little little unreliable for me. I ended up switching really? to that other program we talked about, which I, I'm having spacing on what it's called now. Uh, Epoch Multicam? Yes, yes. So I'm, I like Epoch for... I'm doing some selfie cam stuff where I'm balancing selfie cams and juggling at the same time. Okay. And then projecting that behind me. 
Now, see, um, I had some issues with, with, with Epoch as well. I do use it in the show, but I only use it to go get a volunteer now. I used to use it to go get a volunteer, then give them the phone and say, here, video uh, this next trick. And I would rip a photograph of my wife up um, and, uh, and then put it all back together in a different order and stuff. It was a magic trick that was great for this phone idea. But right in the middle of one of the shows, it just, it just took a dump and it just freeze framed me on the screen. Oh, and everybody kind of thought, oh, and the camera accidentally froze. He right. switched out the photo. And I went, right, no. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I, lo- used- I love the idea of giving people because I p- hand out an iPad now uh-huh. uh, with a, with a drop counter on it, and I do the hardest club routine I can think of, mm-hmm. and I let oh, them great. count drops because the the rule it doesn't the dropping doesn't matter it takes it off of me and it's right. calculating the catches and the drops simultaneously and then Siri does a calculation to give me a drop percentage and bases her whatever comes up next is based on how many mistakes there are so even oh if you, you, know, you figure 400 catches and you have let's say two drops you're still coming at 99.9999 perfect that's really cool very and very cool of, and it takes the pressure off the juggling too and it's so cool to have them they love to be touching stuff and you you know have i'm tempted to give them lighting control for something too just give them a little osc simple pad where they can kind of you know decide what's going to happen <laughs> a friend of mine does a really funny routine uh, with an ipad where he he talks about how advanced the theaters are becoming and then as he tries to you know raise the volume or do something all hell breaks loose and the pit goes down and the curtains close and it's a really really <laughs> funny routine yeah um mm. I, I did a friend you talking about giving giving uh, giving the audience the ability to, to get involved and hold stuff. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Andrew Schwartz, um, a physical comedian. Um, we both love quadrocopters, and our I, I've been into aerial uh, flight for for years. I built my own planes in Australia and everything as a hobby only, and. Um, now the quadcopter things come out and the Phantom 3s and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's kind of making me think, hmm, how can we use these in the show, you know? <laughs> Good so, luck um, with the insurance. We were, we were flying all the time and uh, after the shows and between shows and all that stuff. And uh, we finally ended up, he came up with this idea that he wanted to do kind of a pre-show comedy routine with a, with a quadcopter. And uh, so I actually hid in, in, the, in, in, in the side in the audience. People didn't see me. And I was the actual one with the remote, but the audience had no idea. So he came out, opened it up, took the remote out, and he flew it around the theater. And I was just amazed at how much the people thought that was cool just flying around the theater. I mean, you know, it didn't do anything, right? And, uh, and then we did tricks. He went through his legs, and it did a few of the back somersault and landed on his hand and all this kind of stuff. And then he gave the remote to somebody else, put it on the floor, and told him to fly it. And nothing happened. It got a laugh, you know, and then they, hmm. he gave, a, it was a dummy remote, obviously, and gave the remote to somebody else. And then all of a sudden, just at that time, uh, I think he gave it to a woman and, and, uh, and that's when I fly it totally berserk and it <laughs> goes all over the place, almost hits everybody in the front row. And then, and then he finally gives it back to somebody else who does a great job with it and tells them to fly it through the legs. And that's when I nail them right in the nuts with it. When it got yeah. a huge, <laughs> got a huge laugh. And I remember always thinking, Oh God! Don't break the drone. You know. <laughs> Have I, you tried it, to fly a drone into like a chicken leg to see what would happen to human flesh? Because it seems <laughs> scary. Those that, that seems it just seems so dangerous. That hits somebody in the head and cuts their eye or well, something. Well, I or? wasn't. We weren't flying a big drone. We were flying about a four inch nano, and it's got it had a rubber uh, kind of a rubber. Uh, uh, blades on it, which was awesome. I even let my daughter catch catch it, but it's got okay. super bright LEDs, and it was plenty big for in the theater. You'd be surprised how bright you could see this thing. Um, but it was it was really really a safe one. I mean, still, I won't want to drop it out of the ceiling, and the plastic body would hit something, and you know, still hurt. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's no different than juggling swords up in front of the row, you know, in front of the audience either. You have to be very careful, you know, and make sure you you have safety boundaries and stuff. I always mm-hmm. said uh, I didn't want to um, do anything where I. So actually, the drone was flying, the quadcopter was flying sideways the entire time, but the audience can tell the difference, because I refused to fly it towards the audience, because I was on stage left, so I wanted it always facing the proper direction for me, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at ideas now on how to get the, the, the drone to, to do live camera feeds. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. there's so much, so much stuff there that, that's possibilities. I got quite a few, and I think I have like six of them right now, <laughs> different mm-hmm. kinds. No, I'm loving it. I've been doing a bunch of filming as well, but the legality of flying it over humans is so scary. And professionally as well, if you, cha- if you charge 25 cents for a, for a photo you took, um, you need a commercial pilot's license right now, which is totally bizarre to me, um, and uh, a triple a, a triple three exemption and uh, all this other stuff. So it does get kind of hairy. To do what? 
If you're, if, if let's say you want to to fly around the neighborhood and, and sell the photos that you took of the of the community or of the, or whatever, uh-huh. uh, if you uh-huh. sell that image, if if it, if it went from a hobby to a profession, and you sell that photograph, um, you need to be you need to be licensed. And unfortunately, the FAA has not yet established a drone license. So the minimum licensing you need to legally fly any quadcopter is a physical, uh, real pilot's license. You need to be able to fly a real plane in real life before you're <laughs> legally to fly to this. It's insane. So these companies that are selling it, for, uh, selling photos and stuff uh, and video for commercials and for reality and all that kind of stuff, whatever it is, they, they're having to hire professional pilots or retired pilots that have pilot license to fly these drones under their, under their exemption. And you still need a permit, but the person who holds the permit doesn't need to be the one who's actually flying it as long as they're working for you. It's absolutely insane. I've done a lot of research on it. It's driving wow. me crazy. Wow. And yeah, is I that to protect the real pilots from their business model being broken, that they're going to... No, I think it's just because once you're commercial and not a hobby, you need it needs to be licensed. Uh, but unfortunately, they just have not created one yet. And there's, I mean, there's eight thousand people that are already signed up for it, um, but it doesn't exist yet. It was supposed to happen in November, uh, I think, and it, it or no, sorry, October, and it, the 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 government um, Congress didn't get it done in time, which is really no shock. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I think we're they're aiming for June or July of next year. Uh, but somebody found a loophole. If you go get a balloons light. A balloon license. If you can fly a hot air balloon, which takes about two months of training, and I, I heard about three to four thousand uh, dollars to get a, a balloon license, uh, that is considered okay. Now, if you have ever flown a Phantom drone, you know that flying a hot air balloon is nothing <laughs> like it. <laughs> so, what do you do for backup? I mean, because I assume you're running MIDI show control hardwired. Is that what you're doing? Uh, I'm using an M Audio MIDI. USB out to a Witty X8. Are you familiar with Witty X8? Mm-mm. You will never go without it once you get it. Uh, a Witty X8 is W I D I space X8. It's basically wireless MIDI. And okay. I have two boxes. One of them goes, uh, I still have my wired USB to MIDI uh, plug, which then plugs into my Witty. And then that sends a wireless MIDI signal to the light board and i i mean disney the disney dream my computer is backstage and the disney dream sound booth a light booth is way up in the it's ridiculously high and you know how far that is like you know and there's just a small glass anyway i've never had a single problem knock on wood every single lighting cue is right on fire it's just fantastic i would never go hardwired into the msc anymore uh it's just it's so it's so easy it's really really easy well the issue Uh, with the msc is going Running a XLR up to the so the sound booth and then pulling it out and going over to the light board is yeah. you go into that patch bay and all hell breaks loose in there. Yeah, I've you, I've you, actually you had a cable made for me and it's never worked. I've always run into too. some problems. I have yeah. I have nine cables for me and it doesn't work. <laughs> but I use an iPad. I use uh, just my Wi-Fi network and just put an iPad up there. Mm-hmm. And then you use MIDI Bridge, basically does the same thing that Witty X8 does. And the oh, Witty okay. X8 oh, cool. claims it has 80 meters in environment without obstruction transmission range. So, pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, the cool thing about the iPad is as long as you have any Wi-Fi signal, it's it's got you covered. And you already have a Wi-Fi network set up, at least, so you're kind of... Uh, I, and I, an honestly, iPhone though, I've had well. problems with OSC. Um, like, for example, have you used an app called Stage Caller? A little bit, just to screw around with it. Like I had my mother call me in the middle of the show with it and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I did a comedy routine with Stage Caller, and I think it worked perfectly fine in like all seven rehearsals. <laughs> when it came mm-hmm. to show, it just didn't go. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't believe it was Stage Caller. I believe I had an issue with the, with the Wi-Fi because my OSC from one laptop to the other, I have one laptop that's out off of stage in a, in a tripod. I actually will miss individual mapping cues for no reason at all about every month or so. So now I started realizing that with QLab, I can fire the same cue four times in a row, and it, it doesn't play it four times in a row. It just sends a signal, and once it's played, it's played. So what I'm doing now is I, I'll, I'll do for every cue, I'll put like another cue next to it two milliseconds later. So I'll mm-hmm. double I'll double fire mm-hmm. each cue to, to kind of guarantee that if, well, one misses for some reason, the second one's going to catch. You know, I um, did, I did find there was a late there was an issue if you fire two OSC commands too close together that that one of them won't work. Really, 
I have okay. seen that. Yeah, where I had to put a delay in between. Uh, in between them to get that to happen. I was going to say, I've had where it was two QLab computers 300 feet from each other. And just in case mm-hmm. one, did re- one didn't receive it, on the master system, I just had it send a queue every fourth of a second until it received a queue back from the remote machine to tell it, hey, I received it, quit sending. And that was my backup. Oh, cool. That's a oh, smart very idea. Cool. Very good. Yeah, the kind of kind of built built, built in, in backup. Uh, you, uh, yeah. TCP reply. <laughs> built in TCP Very over good. yeah OSC. And that's on my iPad. I do that same thing where it tells me that it's gotten it by turning on a little LED by the Q button to say yeah I've I've gotten it and it's ready to go. So don't worry, everything's good. I remember a big problem I ran into with the QLab system uh, when I went over to the iPad, <clears throat> which was great for me because all of a sudden the, the computer did not need to be in the sound booth or the lighting booth. Because on NCL, on Norwegian Cruise Lines, uh, the sound and lighting booth is in the same venue, which is horrible for the sound tech because they're way in the back of the theater behind glass. It's ridiculous. Right. But it's great for me because <laughs> I can plug everything in all within three feet of each other. Most venues and theaters, you know, on land or whatever, it's not like that. I brought the iPad in. And QLab came out with the remote, which was just fantastic. And I, I didn't use it right away because I had a lot of problems with it. One of the problems was I made uh, – I now use start key, start cues for the show. So my 550 cues are down below on the list. And the top 20 things with a big gap in between, spacers in between, is just their cues. So when they hit, when they hit the start on the iPad, it just jumps to whatever cue and, and fires it from there. It used mm-hmm. to be all done with hotkeys on the computer itself. So I kind of changed the way I programmed them completely. But when I got to the iPad, what was happening was, uh, and it happened a lot, unfortunately, there'd be a cue in the show, and there's a 15-minute gap where there's no cues. I mean, all the cues are happening, but the, the actual sound guy doesn't have to press anything. It's all pre-programmed. And then... All of a sudden, he would press go, nothing would happen. So he'd press go again, and then two separate cues would fire at once because there was such a latency. So I'd have to run off stage, hit escape, refine where I was, which then killed my camera cue. So now I had to have an emergency camera cue that I could bring back on. And it happened two or three times, and I'm like, dude... Don't press it twice. And uh, it's not just one guy that it's happened to. It's happened, you know, and it, it's kind of their instinct. They press mm-hmm. it, nothing happens, so they press it again. And okay. so what I've done now is I put a memo cue that just has a period in it. So it's just a blank thing to them. It's, a, <laughs> it's one cue, two or three memo cues between every single thing. And if they ever do get panicked and they hit it twice, it just fires an empty memo cue. And that thing has saved so, me <laughs> a million so, times now. But I just wear a Bluetooth remote on my belt and then i fire everything to avoid some schmo screwing it up for me what what why not do that and get him uh, out because of I, yeah i can't I, there's some things where i'm on top of cylinders i do roll a bola in the show my wife's in an illusion um there, there's a few parts of the show that unfortunately are just in a location we, i just can't run it myself my hands are full or it's kind of a my my bigger show extreme vegas is kind of a full-on production and it's there's just not a second to spare in the show. So, so I'm doing I'm doing a back somersault, spinning three balls, and I'm still firing a go command by lifting my leg to trigger the button. <laughs> that's why you're a juggler, and I'm sitting here on a computer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very cool. Just, just the idea of this human element in there to yeah. screw it up for you is so just because they they can't they get so they don't have the time to get that comfort, you know? Yeah, where they yeah. they know what you're going to do. Most of the cases that I'm in um, until this next year, because like I said, we, we have a, a two-year-old now and we're trying to uh, not do these long overseas mm-hmm. contracts. But uh, all the venues I've been in has been minimum five months, like four or five months. It takes you about two weeks to install Extreme Vegas. Um, right. uh, usually I can get it in a week if they give me the stage all the time, which is kind of hard to do in some venues, most venues. Right. Um, right. But uh, now, like what I'm doing... Uh, in a couple of days, uh, you know, I'm going to get there and I'm, I'm working that night and I've never done that before. So I'm really, God. my entire, uh, my entire garage has a full show set up that I built today that I'm going through every single thing because I cannot risk any delay, you know? Um, and there'll be maybe four, four cues, five cues maximum of the show. Uh, some cues I can fire myself and, and a lot of cues I can't. Out of curiosity, what is the, the Bluetooth remote you're using? Satachi, S A T E C hie.net if you go to that i'll post it to the show notes just a little too teeny bluetooth remote and then i put actually i'm 3d printing a cover for it now uh, but i use a plastic spoon with a hole in it 
I just put that on my belt. I have two of them, actually, one on each side. So if one goes out, the other one is still there. And the spoon is there so that I don't accidentally trigger a button by my leg or my body mm-hmm. hitting something or my fat stomach. And I can just reach <laughs> through the hole and hit go. And then I have a conditional button. There's three other buttons that are exposed. One is just sort of a confirmation that I have signal. So like if I'm in front of a house and about to come in, I can push that button and a little teeny blue dot will appear on the screens out on, on the screen behind the state on full screen. So I can see that I have, I have Bluetooth control. And then the conditional button is what's so awesome. I just epoxied on a little piece that rises up. Again, I'm 3D printing a much better version that'll clip on the whole thing. But that button only is active when it's needed. So, for example, when I'm doing a routine in UV light and I miss something and the the ball goes flying, I lift my leg and it pushes that little button in and it turns on a sub of full wash so I can find the damn ball. And then, and then it turns it back off again. If I'm doing a routine with lasers and I lift my leg, it gives me extra fog because maybe I haven't programmed the foggers in their automated cycle to be enough. That's cool. That cue with back roll, that it's, it's an active as a go button only in the back roll routine. So when I'm ready to start, I just lift my leg and it'll start the music for the back roll. So oh, it kind of cool. it kind of gives you the conditional button to me was this big epiphany of okay when I need the magic to happen it gives me house lights in certain routines when I want some house lights when I'm talking and I don't I don't like that I'm touching the buttons so I can mm-hmm. just kind of just lift my leg up a little bit and it'll it'll turn up some house lights for somebody like me who's jumping on illusions and uh, we've got like 22 costume changes throughout the show because I have multiple performers my wife myself the dancers every time I move in a certain way will it cause something to happen or how do, how do you prevent it accidentally right. So you, you disarm it. So you disarm that button when you're not using it. So okay. the, the main go button is always protected by the spoon, right? So it can't be triggered unless you reach in the hole and push go. But it's really tactile, so you can feel where that hole is okay. and shove in there. And then the conditional button is sort of only activated. So it will fire when you hit it by accident, but it doesn't do anything because at the end of that routine, you disarm that to make it non-active. Okay, You know, cool. and, and that way you just know when you're ready for a go, which you're the person that knows better than everybody. Right, exactly. And, and what's, uh, your, what's your range on that? Uh, well, I use a Bluetooth range extender. Oh, cool. So it's 10 kilometers. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, which, is, which should be plenty. <laughs> if 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 you're if you're if you're stage right and stage left is that wide <laughs> you're working a big venue yeah but i do want it to be able to work from front of house like if I'm, if I'm in a big arena or something right the only thing i really like about now that i've moved everything to in most cases stage right is the the fact that I was using, well, I'm still using it, but I just don't have to run it through the house anymore, is VGA to Cat5 video extenders. I use six of those, actually, and then each, each extender has uh, two Cat5 cables. It can run like 400 feet uh, Cat5 cable to the back of the house for the video projectors or whatever. If you're working on a cruise ship, and then all that's perfectly run. Unfortunately, they go through all these horrible converters that downsize the quality of the video to nothing by the time it comes backstage. But when I do my own gigs on land, I use my own my own cabling. The advantage of, instead of putting that in the house and running the cables to the other side, with everything on stage right, is that if something goes wrong, or more importantly, in the uh, amount of <laughs> the hours of rehearsals that you're not running the show straight through, I can just walk 20 feet to the right of the stage, fast forward using jump to time or whatever I want to do, or fix any one of the 5,000 things that I've programmed incorrectly in my studio. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to look great until I realized I have four images playing on top of each other at the same time. So that's a it's really a big help. And then the iPad has just been been great for me so have you um, tried transitioning away from the qlab remote and using lemur at all i'm actually not even familiar with that which one is this yeah so go go get a copy of lemur l-e-m-u-r and uh it will blow your mind really yes it'll it'll change the change your world it's i just i don't turn on the qlab remote anymore with lemur it's it's so customizable and does so much feedback and all kinds of stuff. I don't, Dave, have you used Lemur at all? I've used the old Lemur before the iPad because we used to use okay. it with the LCS system and that was our main interface to control it. But yeah, I like Lemur. Lemur used to be a couple thousand dollars, like 2000 5000 And now I'm looking at the iPad app is 2499 Yeah. 
It's the oh, best wow. 24 bucks you ever spend. There is a bit of a learning curve on it because it has some scripting in it. But for me, for setting up my lighting, especially like in a DMX setup. This podcast is going to cost me a lot of money. <laughs> $24? Come on, No, dude. no. Because I'm listing down a whole bunch of things I well, want to do now. <laughs> well, when you do get the, the remote that I just, I just sent you a link um, through Skype, but also posted on the show notes, um, cool. you will need an additional piece of software to tell the remote one that it's only going to be used with QLab, so it disables it as a as a real remote for the computer, so it doesn't start firing iTunes and stuff. Okay, and that's called Quick Keys. Even though it says it's it's not really supported anymore, but it lets you take a any device, particularly a Bluetooth device, and this is the magic part, and make it quote a device, and that removes it from any functionality in the Mac or any other stuff, and it, mm-hmm. it hijacks it as a show control toy. So you could use like an Apple mouse, for example. You know, Mm -hmm. I have that as Mm -hmm. a backup go button. Like if any of my go buttons go, I have an Apple mouse sitting in the wings and I could just shove that out on stage and use it as a foot go button. Wow. But it's never going to be a mouse anymore where it does, does mouse. Right. So a question I have for you is one of the routines I'm doing right now. I've, I have four surfaces on stage video map with four different videos. I have a live camera going on two different screens and then I'm video mapping through another projector, which is through the triple head. Uh, oh gosh, is it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different surfaces with seven different videos plus an wow. audio track. Um, I, Talk about RAM yeah. intensive. <laughs> um, is there a particular... I, I, everything I see online for a long time now has told me to use Apple ProRes as the simplest because it's not, it's not decompiling. Um, but I don't find that to be true. Every time I use all ProRes in any one of my computers, I feel much slower than if mm-hmm. I use one of the many different things that I'm trying to do. Do you have a preference on video codec? Actually, I kind of do. It's um, based on the computer because every video card is different. What I do, a lot of time, if I need transparency, I always use Apple ProRes 4444. And the new one, XQ, does not work well on QLab, so stay away from it. Uh, Okay. So the older one, Apple ProRes 4444, if you need transparent. Otherwise, I've used Photo JPEG. I've used H.264. What I usually do, I bounce it out of uh, Final Cut Pro in multiple formats. I run it through QLab and see which one runs the best. Because based on the computer with the video card, each one runs differently. So the only way I ran one show at a theme park that we tried every version. only thing that would run is VGA quality using photo jpeg only thing that wouldn't crash the apple pro computers running four screens so my thing is sadly you have to try trial by error this thing i'm doing right now i use these custom-made cardboard boxes for a, an illusion in our show they're all from the factory white and i was messing around with them one day and i found out that these white cardboard boxes boxes were so much fun to video map yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so i ended up stacking a, a series of boxes at different angles and found out that it, hey you can almost look like you're surrounding the video around the box just because the audience's angle isn't much different than the projector angle. Yeah. I'm doing this whole this whole new thing about time and and it's it's all a story and there's there's magic throughout it. Because if you you know if you look at the projector it's a it's a it's covering a massive size stage and in reality I'm only I'm I'm doing a postage stamp of the actual image, you know, of the uh, image is only the cardboard box is only about maybe 3 foot tall. What I found out today finally tonight cuz I do not have my iMac, uh, my iMac and all of my gear, I got about 8000 pounds of gear coming back from Europe. Uh, none of it has arrived yet, and my iMac is in those road cases. So I have my laptops, and I went, okay, I'll just fire this up. And I went, oh my gosh, it can't handle it. The laptop cannot handle it. So I upgraded the RAM to the highest I could now, and I did a few other, th- other things, and it still didn't do it. So I went in there, and I, I realized that by pixels, uh, an iPod video is actually still way bigger than what I'm projecting at that distance. And of course, from that distance, the, it, it's, the clarity looks the same. You know, I mean, these projectors sometimes, by the time they go through those bloody converters, are only giving you 800 by 600 right. anyway. So it's unfortunately, why have HD? It's, <laughs> you're not getting it anyway. And that was the first video that I put like eight videos on top of each other and the laptop did fine. And I honestly did not see a difference up on the, on the imaging because I'm, I'm scaling it down so small. So that was the first one that I've done. And I don't think I would do that on my stage sets where it's, 
20 foot tall because i think you would notice something there but on a small three foot box it it looked great to me today so i'm kind of happy there is (laughs) one caveat with audio and video that if you're doing a ton of compression especially like in audio aif stuff you know aif Mm -hmm. is better than mp3 in some ways because it has to do less work to uncompress it to play it so so file aiff is not compressed that's what i mean so right because it's better to run the bigger file size the aiff size than mp3 because it's trying to decode it and sometimes your ram gets uses more with a smaller file than it would with a bigger file so it's always this weird kind of trade-off you know for your multiple surfaces you're talking about how many did you say you had six or seven in that one area why not make a single video from it is it is it content that that can't be made into a single video the problem is the the surfaces are going to change uh in every venue uh especially by the distance of the projector so depending on the stage where the curtain is is where the box you could redial it in with geometry like i just posted a link on the um skype feed of a map video mapping project i did where there are okay uh what is it 10 i don't know 25 surfaces and I did it. I did it okay. with surfaces, but it was so stressful to the machine. I ended up just making it a single movie, and then it just ran great. But it, it does involve. So how are you getting? How are you getting the images to, to line up? I very um, very. In I Final very Cut. carefully calculate uh, projector position and make it be consistent every time where where everything is put and what angle they're put at and then you can dial it in with with the video settings in QLab using the baser curves and things like that to do some subtle adjustments but it is tricky but the stress on the machine was too much to handle it i i i was thinking of doing something like that today but i just don't know how i would accomplish it quickly mm-hmm. that's the thing is i can so easily grab QLab and video map the, the faces of all these different sections so mm-hmm. fast but I'm worried that once I come in and I set it down and they go, oh, here the mid-curtain in this venue mm-hmm. is 10 foot further back. Mm-hmm. So that means these props have to be set up during yeah. the show behind that curtain. Well, now what do I do? I put the projector in the middle of the yeah. stage? You know what I mean? So I am I'm worried about that. But, I mean, at the same token, I'm running the machine to its max right now. And I'm, I'm yeah. always worried I about would, crash, I did crash. You know? I've been doing a, my booth at these conferences that I do. Uh, is all is fifty white boxes all set up in a strange shape, and that's all video mapped that way. But if oh, I really? switched to a lot of it's still images that are mapped to it, and if I started switch to animations, it crashed. I killed QLab, and I'm only mapping it's fifty boxes, but I'm really only doing like six or seven actual surfaces on that. Um, but it oh, murdered right. it. What's your projector? It's a ultra short throw. It projects a ten foot wide image from seven feet away. Yeah, oh, three thousand cool. lumens. So, but we all know very lumens cool. aren't what we think. I, I remember I got to uh, a NACA, my first, my very first ever NACA convention in Minneapolis last year, and uh, <laughs> I get there and I'm thinking, oh, this is great because the, the venue is like a big white dome ceiling, and it was all triangles in the ceiling. And I went, oh, this, and it was ceiling was like maybe 100 feet high. And I went, oh, this is fantastic. I brought a, a spare projector that I wasn't planning on using. So I stuck it right above me and I mapped one of the triangles and said, played a video of our show and said, visit me on, on this booth. And uh, of course, all the other booths were like, are you kidding right. me? <laughs> you know, they're all like, you know, they were, they were cool about it. They're like, oh my God. Literally, we're about to open. And I think it's about five minutes till opening. And all of a sudden, you just hear this massive switch, and they just put on every single right, light you right. could possibly. Make. And I had I had my booth mapped. I had all this text flying all over my backdrop. I had all these video screens, and I stood out fantastic. <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh no!" Yeah. Well, <laughs> I literally had to turn off the, the top projector. And then the next convention I went to, uh, a guy with like a twenty foot LED wall went right in front oh. of me and just washed me out completely. Wow. I was like, oh, "Well, gosh. they shut me down." I had I brought some movers in with me some smart max the other day and turned them on and in the short venue with a 10 foot ceiling it was fine but then i was in a big conference center where it was a hundred foot giant mark Nizer 4d color gobo spinning <laughs> on the ceiling and the literally it was on and a guy walked around the corner and was like uh-uh i don't think so and it was turned off and <laughs> that was and, and, and you know another thing i did is i ended up pulling a black because you know you have the pipe and drape behind you I was able. Yeah. I built like a PVC frame that can attach to the back thing, so you could pull out a black kind of clothy cover to keep the light from hitting the wall. Oh, that's so, cool! Um, oh, very good yeah. idea. A little, little ceiling. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare trying to figure all that out. 
Well, I have to say I'm very impressed, man. I really want to see your show now. Yeah, same here. Thanks, man. I, I think we both need to hang out and see each other's show. I think uh, I, I think I'd be really uh, excited to see what you do now. Yeah, I, I would be amazing. I think when we do the QLab con- convention, we'll have to have you and I come in and uh, we'll do our little our little. We'll do it a nerd off and and see who uh, you do one, <laughs> I do one, and. We'll have a Q count to see who's firing the most cues. I do have 4,900 cues in my show now, so. Oh, my <laughs> it's so gosh. crazy. Oh, wow. Okay, you win. Yeah, it's, it's um, At the same token, I tell you, you win when it comes to marketing because uh, I don't know if the listeners out there will have any idea what I'm talking about, but uh, last year I was in uh, New York at the Hilton and I decided to go <laughs> to the restroom after, after having a big cup of coffee. And I looked down and I am peeing on Mark Neiser's face. <laughs> oh, boom. <laughs> I that is the best <laughs> marketing I have ever seen in my oh, life because there was probably a thousand booths at that three-story <laughs> venue, and the only one I can still remember is Mark Neiser with oh, the goggles on. I mean, I'm telling you, it was. Brilliant. I couldn't believe that one nobody said anything because it was so ballsy. They just everyone assumed it was okay, and nobody bothered to. No one would touch them because it's so disgusting. So they, everyone assumed, like the person that people that ran the convention assumed it was somehow approved, and the hotel assumed it was somehow approved. But it was just me and my daughter running in and dropping in with toilet paper in all the women's bathrooms too, with my wrapper on it. Oh, yeah. Oh my god. Because so, I do a thing with toilet paper in my show for people that don't know what I do for my act. So right, right, and, right, uh, right. Anyway, right. thank you. That makes me very happy. Oh. <laughs> That was hilarious. But let, let me ask you, who did you send to go pick them all up? Or did you just call, consider that a write-off? I, I walked away. <laughs> I walked away. It was too gross even for me. Smart yeah. man. Disaster. He died. He, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. You screwed up. That was tragic, really. He exploded on stage. Fix it. Review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review of just a shit sandwich. Welcome to Tales of Disaster. You screwed up. You got to fix it. What are you going to do? Tell us your stories. Send them in, and we're going to put them on the air. There's a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Like flash of green light. I was in the lighting booth programming uh, on an afternoon um, a couple days before my show, and uh, there was a hypnotist on board the cruise ship, a Norwegian cruise ship called um, uh, Dr. Scott Lewis, who unfortunately passed away while he was performing in The Illusionist in Sydney, what? Australia. Kind of like his, yeah, kind of like his dream job, and not during the show, but before the show. It was a long story, but anyway, it, it, he was a very dear friend of mine, and um, he was he was putting about eight hundred people into a trance <laughs> into a very quiet oh, no. sleep so he could then do one of his seminars and I am not controlling the lighting board I, my computer back then was permanently in the lighting booth I had to go up there to, to work on it and uh, <laughs> I come in and I'm going through the whole show and I'm all good and I get to the finale number of our show where all chaos breaks out. And, of course, I do not have control over the movers. The movers aren't even on. This is a seminar happening in the theater right now. But all of the Tivoli lights and strobe lights and everything else, for some reason, never get turned off in the theater. And even though the, the console wasn't officially on, I could still control it. And so the end of the show comes, and while these people are, like, almost asleep... All hell breaks loose with strobes and this and that. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And I'm frantically trying to turn it all off. <laughs> I don't know if he, uh, if he really enjoyed oh that God. part of our friendship that day. Wow. And then uh, I also use a lot of confetti. I think, uh, I think we both like to make messes on stage. Um, I, I have rain machines and confetti machines and rose petal machines and, and all this stuff. Wow. And... Um, <laughs> we uh, we had a lighting guy that decided to go through every cue. He was so uh, in, a, in a great way anal about the show oh, no. that uh, right up till till doors he would go through every cue and make sure that there's not a single light that's off by an inch. Oh and, no, uh, <laughs> we fired everything. We all. Yeah, we all finished. We set up. I went to go take a shower before they opened doors. All the crew went to go eat, and I hear him call on the radio, basically, "Get here now!" because. We're three inches thick in rose petals oh. on stage, and there's about an inch of, of all the confetti cannons, everything. I thought the crew was going to kill him. Oh, oh my God, poor guy. God. I can always tell but. when a magician's been at a venue that I am at, because my finale is with fans. I blow these two big fans in the air. All the white uh, snow and confetti And I'm like, God down. damn it, magicians. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh. 
I did a gig in Massachusetts called the Big E. Um, we we brought dancers from all over the world. We had the main stage. Uh, we did fifty one shows there, and it was in a, a kind of an amphitheater style. Um, so I tried to kind of reuse. Uh, we have like custom cut two and a half inch uh, rose petals that just bombard the stage uh, for about two minutes straight for our finale of our show, and um, I, <laughs> we we really can't reuse anything in that type of environment because. You know, it's outdoors, the wind is blowing, there's humidity, and once it hits the stage, you know, you just kind of, okay, toss it. Well, we did 51 shows in 17 days, and they tore down the stage. It was a, a custom-built stage. They tore down the stage, and I came back to the venue just to, to, to get the, the, the semi. And, oh, my God, the, the, the pieces that fell through the cracks <laughs> had stacked themselves up about a foot and a half high under the stage. And I remember seeing all these cleanup crew just looking at it like, you've got to be kidding me. And it was like 50-some feet wide by like, you know, 8 inches, 9 inches tall for the majority of it. And then higher, like a snow drift, you know. And uh, about a year later, a sound guy opened up a, a sound desk or whatever he had, a portable system, and took a picture and, and just sent me a very explicit Facebook post saying, you, because <laughs> it was still full of rose petals, you know. Yeah, we, we tend to make a mess. Well, great job. So let's be in touch, and uh, we'll talk some more. Thank you very much, dude. Well, thanks for joining me tonight, Dave. That was very cool. Our quote today is from Justino Zope's website under his favorite quotes. They were so preoccupied whether or not they could, they never stopped to think if they should. Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic Park. The Q is produced by Active Media Group in association with the Q Show cast. Music for The Cue was written and performed by Kyle Swafford. For more information and links to our blog, online tutorials, cast, and videos, please visit theqshow.com. You can contact us at info at theqshow.com. Now go out and make something, and you too can go to 11.